0: We continue our series, Experiencing the Presence of God. You can take out your outline. There is a verse on top of the outline. It's on page 977 in this book, if you want to look it up as well. And it says, the earnest prayer. Y'all read it with me. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Does yours? Does yours? Does it sound like your prayer there? Now, who is that written about? Who knows? Don't look it up. Who is it written about? Elijah. And that passage... I'm glad you're back. That passage moved to New Hampshire and moved all the way back. You fled the snow, didn't you? And we brought it back with you. The passage says, Elijah was as human as we are. As human as you are. And yet he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again and it started raining. Do you have any idea that you could pray that way and something like that would happen? The scripture says he was as human as you are. You say, well, is there a better way to pray so that, so that my conversations with God can, can become more effective so that I can pray prayers that will stop and start the rain?" Now, our goal for this message isn't just that we we learn, and next week, isn't that we just learn to have our prayers answered more often. That's, That's just more about me. Our purpose is that we come to know God in a more personal and a more intimate way through our communication with Him. We turn to a passage where Jesus actually taught his disciples to pray. It was on a hillside beside the Sea of Galilee. I've been there a couple of times now. Beautiful, beautiful place. And as he spoke what, was, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular he focused on prayer in a passage we call the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll be at Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there, verse 9. Bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles. Get used to having them. I'm not anti-iPhone Bibles. Well, I am a little bit. <laughs> the reason is I think it's good to have a Bible because of the tactile nature. And you gain familiarity with it and you know where it is. Only using a phone, you'll be like a person who, who's Phone breaks and they have no GPS and don't know how to read a map. Because we need some familiarity with the flow of the scripture. How it's put together. So we're at Matthew chapter 6. Now this is a very brief prayer. In fact, in the New Living, it's only 62 words. So Jesus gives us a concise but a comprehensive Approach to prayer. Verse 9. Pray like this. Now it doesn't say it here. But in Matthew. Which also is a, it's a different time of Jesus teaching. But he covered essentially the same thing in the prayer. And the disciple said. Jesus teach us to pray. It doesn't say it here. But he's saying. Pray like this. Our father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. Say it with me. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I'm not going to deal with the end, for thine is the power of the glory. That's not in the earliest manuscript, so I won't deal with it here. In these messages. Now this prayer is really more appropriately referred to as the disciples prayer. And it's not given as a prayer to memorize. Though all of us have. It's actually given as a pattern for personal prayers. It's a framework for what to say. Not a specific set of words or phrases to memorize and repeat. In fact it's not repeated anywhere throughout the New Testament. Other than the other time when Jesus taught a similar framework or structure. The first part of the prayer deals with God's glory. Verses 9 and 10 that I'll deal with today. The second part, which I'll address next week. Unless we have a monsoon or a blizzard or something. Addresses our needs. And that's verses 11 through 13. So our purpose today as we begin is that our prayers... Glorify God. Well, how do we pray for God's glory and what does that mean? Well, the word glory actually comes from a Greek word, doxa. How many of us grew up in Baptist churches and we sang what? Doxology. And the doxology, the words were just giving praise, honor, adoration, glory to God. And it, that's what it means. Also splendor, also divine radiance. Glory is the nature of God. It's His divine mode of being. In the Holy of Holies, He touched down between the seraphim on the, on the, um, mer- at the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. And, it's, and there it talks about the Shekinah of glory. Which is a word for the presence of God. It's interesting, Shekinah is actually a feminine word. Whereas uh, glory is a masculine word. So we see the feminine and the masculine in the presence of God. True prayer, like true worship, starts and centers on God's glory, not our needs. But how do we usually pray? We usually erupt with our requests. Now nothing benefits a believer more than prayer. But prayer, in the way Jesus taught us, prayer, if we want it to be effective, if we want it to follow God's purpose for prayer, must focus first on Him, not on self. So we glorify God first by focusing on his paternity, reflecting on his paternity, our Father in heaven. Now, this is not actually one of the the phrases of the prayer. It's actually the address or the invocation. But we start with God. We don't start with self. Self takes our attention off of ourselves. It causes us to concentrate on Him. Now these words would have been startling to the disciples. Because Jews did not address God as Father. Now they had known God as their Father and their Savior. You can, you can see it in Psalms 103 verse 13. The one who guided their ancestors... The one who made covenant promises to them. But over the centuries, because of their disobedience and their idolatry, they lost the sense of God's intimate fatherhood. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Instead of a relationship with God that's ongoing, that's close, that's personal, that's intimate... He becomes the guy with the key to get us into we hope will get us into heaven when we die. They still related to God, but they related to God in terms of his transcendence, his sovereignty, his power. He was one to be obeyed and one to be worshipped, but not one to be known in a familiar way. Personal, intimate way. Now this translation uses the word father, the Greek word patir, but Jesus likely used an Aramaic word of affection and familiarity, Abba, which is akin to our word daddy. But Jesus was telling his disciples, and when he told them, he's telling us to seek access and expect welcome into God's presence as children. His children. John 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, verse chapter 1. In verse 12, 11 says he came to his own people and even they rejected him. And then 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Also Galatians 4, 5. The fact that God is our Father who is in heaven just means that He's divine. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's almighty. He's not susceptible to the flaws, mistakes, limitations, and inadequacies inadequacies of our human fathers. In fact, Often unknown to us. We project our father's face onto God. Or put another way. Through experiences with our fathers. Which can also be the absence of a father. We have come to some beliefs. About God. Some of you that don't get close. That are distant. That are mistrustful. Some in our culture that are antagonistic toward God. It's all rebellion. It all comes out of a belief. That he's distant, he's cold, he can't be trusted. They didn't learn that from experiencing God himself. They learned it from an example, and experience on earth. Human with a human father that they project onto God. Often, they're even unaware. Don't, don't ever get away from the fact everybody knows the presence of God. What about the atheist? They're just mad. I know that, that sounds simple, but it is that simple. Everyone knows. says it in Romans 1, beginning at about verse 18. Says it in Ecclesiastes, eternity in the hearts of men. But since our Father is in heaven, His love is unchanging, it's unlimited. He's able to provide for all all of our needs. Now, since God is spirit, heaven cannot be a physical place that He inhabits. God exists on a different plane from us, rather than a different place. He exists in a different dimension, not a distant location. Because of that, He's always near. That's His omnipresence. That's His imminence as well. When we pray, we should begin by reflecting first, foremost, even if you never get past this. This is a good place to start and even end our prayers. Reflecting on our relationship with God. When's the last time you started your prayer and said, I am adopted by God? You know, that's enough to fill up your mind all day, isn't it? I may not deserve it. He may have not gotten a great deal in getting me. But he chose me. And he brought me into his family. And I have direct access to him. So when you pray. Before you start with your grocery list. Start with, God is my Father. He cares for me. If that doesn't feel true, spend some time. Transformation prayer is nothing more than for you to be able to hear from God and Him to change some of those false beliefs that you are keeping distance from Him and keeping Him away from you. How would a greater awareness of God's parenthood affect the way you pray? Do you think it would? A greater awareness of God's parenthood will transform your prayer. We also glorify God by recognizing his identity. May your name be kept holy. Today, names are are primarily labels for identifying people. But in the Bible, names had much greater importance. They, They represented often the character or the calling of a person. Sometimes even the circumstances of that person's birth. God's name in the Bible means the person he has revealed himself to be. It's his identity. Now God stated his personal name and he revealed part of his nature when Moses was climbing up Mount Sinai for the second time. Remember what happened the first time? What he did with the tablets the first time? Got mad, broke them on the ground. So he was going up the second time. Exodus 34. You can find this one easy. Genesis, Exodus. Beginning at verse 5. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name. Yahweh. Yahweh is actually from four consonants. Y-H-W-H. Because Jews didn't use vowels. In fact, even today, you look at the road signs, they don't have vowels in it. They just know the vowels. So the name Yahweh is, is all consonants, four letters. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Now you know I've been to seminary. But it's kind of synonymous with Jehovah. That's a word that's substituted for it in many of your translations. Or when it says Lord in all four capitals, but they're small capitals. That's God's personal name. But it's often the word Lord is substituted because the word Yahweh was too holy to be written. In our translations, we often have this, including in this one. My own name, he called out his own name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed, out, passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord. See in all four caps in this one. The God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. God stated His name. God disclosed His character to Moses so Moses would know Him, which would enable Moses to trust Him. You can't trust anyone you don't know. Psalms 910. You don't have to turn there. You can look on the screen. Psalms 910 says, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. If, I, if we could have a measure. Maybe there was an indicator over everyone's head. And I said, okay, how much do you trust God? And there's some percentage up there. Your trust of God is equal to your knowledge of Him. Low trust, low knowledge. High trust. High knowledge. How well do you know God? How has God revealed himself to you? Do you know? What name has he given? Has he given you one of his names? Father, that's a good one. Anybody have another one? I can't hear it back there. You're not loud enough. Most high. high. That's a good one. But see, most high only matters if it has a personal experiential meaning to you. You see what I'm saying? We're talking about you personally knowing his name. And he has many names. He has about eight Hebrew names in the scripture. But he also has these, these that we're familiar with. Savior, provider, protector, refuge. What name do you know God by? Do you have one? You have one, what is it? Creator. Does that, is that included in your prayers? That's how you start. That has a particular meaning or emphasis for you. And you may, cho- you may change The name that you know God by. As he adds more names through more experiences. Your your prayer should broaden and take on greater color. As you know him in a deeper, broader way. What does it mean to keep God's name holy? I think we misunderstand this word greatly. The word holy is a Greek word, hagiazo. And it means, well, first we usually think it means sinless, right? Mm-mm. It includes that idea of purity, consecration, sanctification. But it actually means set apart, separate from, different. But that's expressed through purity sanctification God's holiness is not just sinless purity or even perfection God's holiness clear out your ears on this one is the essence of his otherness God's not like you or me He's transcendent. He's all-powerful. He's glorious. But if we grasp his his otherness, we're just filled with awe. We're filled with wonder. We're, We're compelled to worship. God's holiness just means he's not like you. This granddaddy in the rocking chair... Completely wrong. We like to domesticate God. Who, what good is a domesticated God? Would you want a God you don't fear? Who's completely non-threatening? I don't because there's some folks I want Him to threaten. <laughs> to keep God's name holy... For you to keep God's name holy means you recognize that he's unique, he's different, he's other than us. Isn't it interesting how we want to migrate to just, you know, disarming him and slap him on the back? Mm -mm. If you keep his name holy, you recognize he's not like me. I bear His image, I have some similarities to Him, but they're very limited. And when we reflect on His holiness, it should expand our appreciation and our attention toward Him. If you recognize the identity of God, you cannot be complacent. If, if today you're really just kind of indifferent about God, His Word, you know, you don't know Him. And you certainly haven't kept His name holy. If you're, if you're ungrateful, if you just don't care and take it or leave Him, you, you don't know Him. You don't know His name. You don't grasp His, how, the holiness of His person. You see what I'm saying? Even as I describe this, you, what should be happening is you go, I appreciate my invitation into him more. Is that right? Because see, then if we're aware of who he is, then we, we will deliberately, thoughtfully approach him. But we'll come with humility, with praise, with worship. See, some of us don't worship really at all. You know why? We don't know God. If you you have experienced even a part of the essence of God, you cannot help but being compelled to worship. You understand what I'm saying? So are you keeping God's name holy? And how does God's holiness influence your prayers? How does it affect your lives? You can see if you get some of this, 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 this sloppiness in our spiritual life goes away, doesn't it? Carelessness. We also glorify God by requesting his rule. May your kingdom come soon. As creator, God rules over the entire universe. That's called providence. But this prayer is a request for God to intervene, to advance his rule and his reign. To extend his control in this world. Which means to change lives relationally. That's not providence. That's grace. Grace is personal. The kingdom of God came. And we've been talking about this throughout this year. Really the past two. The kingdom of God came when Christ entered this world. Flip over to Mark chapter 1. Verse 15. The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus meant here that this long promised enjoyment of God's salvation, for which Israel had been waiting for years for the Messiah, was now there. Was now close by. They were invited to enter. But how do you enter the kingdom of God? By going to church? By, by going to the temple in those days? You enter the kingdom of God one way. And Jesus told Nicodemus this. You must be born again. John 3, 3. And everybody knows part of John 3. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Are you oblivious to spiritual things? Do you have a hard time discerning God's hand at work in our midst, in people's lives? You may not be born again. Because if you're not born again, you cannot see, experience, grasp the kingdom of God. By faith, we enter the God's kingdom individually. So his kingdom is not a place. It's a relationship. And this relationship exists whenever we enthrone Jesus as Lord, ruler of our lives. Remember a few weeks back I said, this split Savior and Lord is not a biblical concept at all. His identity is Savior and Lord. When He enters, He enters as ruler. The reign of God on earth... Is only partial now. We can see that. It is advancing. But it's advancing slowly. As individual people are born again by faith. Now in the future. When Christ returns. He will rule over a place. The entire world in power. Fully and completely. So when you ask God for his kingdom to come. You're asking that his work of saving grace would advance in this world. That he would regenerate. That he would convert. That people would be born again. Are you praying that? Who are you praying it for? Every one of us should have someone we're praying that God would convert all the time. That's your kingdom come. Do you know who you're praying for? All the time. Sometimes we pray for decades before someone comes. We need to, we need to, I read out of uh, Isaiah 63 this morning to the, I'm going to start calling our prayer group that gathers in the morning, the watchmen. It was just, this passage was saying that, you know, God puts watchmen on the wall. We need to be watching this culture. We need to watch in this church. We need to be start with watching our lives. And it was interesting that 63 verse 7 said, Don't let God rest until he accomplishes his work. I like that. Don't you? You like that, don't you, Kim? I see you smiling out there. Don't, y'all, don't let God rest. Harassing. It's like the woman who kept knocking at the door. I need, I've got guests in the house. I need some bread. Don't let God rest. We need revival right now. We've got a sick nation. When's the last time you asked God? Advance your kingdom. Stop caring about my little life. when we say, God, your kingdom come, we're saying, yes, save some more people. But we're also saying, Christ, you come on back. When's the last time you said that? Christ, you come on back. Let me say, some of us are just quite happy in the world as it is. Christ, you come on back and take your rightful place. What about you? Or you saying Christ come back? Return soon. See we can only really sincerely pray. And for God's kingdom to come. If we want God to rule personally. In our lives to a greater extent. How many of us really want God to rule over our lives? All those parts of our lives that are still Unruly. God, conquer them. Take control of me. Do we want God to rule in our lives in a greater way personally? But if we ask, if we say, God, your kingdom come, that means also, and I'm willing to reach out to others. When's the last time you told your story to someone? When's the last time you asked someone to, to come to church with you, go to a group with you? Just made a friend that you could Talked to about spiritual things. And we hasten Christ's return by spreading the good news. Do y'all know when Christ is going to return? You don't know? I know. You know, don't you? It's very clear. Matthew 24 14 says exactly when Christ is going to return. It says that when the gospel has been preached, y'all know? Throughout the world, and all the nations have heard, Christ comes back. Well, we can't be far away. Right. Right. Do your part. We glorify God by responding to his will. May your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. God's will is carried out perfectly and completely in heaven. Angels, humans, and whatever other created beings are there cooperate fully and completely. There's no stubbornness in heaven, there's no resistance in the hereafter. And this plea is saying, God, we would like your, this earth to operate according to your will. To, to, in obedience to your plan, in accordance with your purpose, just like heaven. Now, see, it's obvious that we want things to pick up. We want the economy to get better, employment to rise, violence, corruption, exploitation, and injustice to end. We want some things in this world. But this petition implies that we, we individually, personally desire to surrender self-directed lives and instead live according to God's will. So you can't pray this prayer unless you want to submit yourself to God's will in every area of your life. And I think all of you prayed this in the beginning of the time, didn't they? Didn't they? Most of them. See, the purpose of this prayer, and I'll say, I'll go ahead and tell you. The, really, the purpose of all prayer isn't for you to change God's mind or get some stuff. The purpose of prayer is to align your will with God's. That's really what practice in Christianity truly is. I've aligned my will with God's. Prayer's not about asking God to give me some stuff. It's about experiencing God so that I'm more like Him when I stop than when I started. Remember that be transformed by the. Renewing of your mind by changing the way you think. What happens when your mind's changed? What do you know? You know God's will. Remember that? Romans twelve two. Asking for God's will to be done requires me to accept God's will and purpose for this world and my life. Without complaining. You see that part? When, we don't, when what we want doesn't happen. See, unless you truly want... Well, let me go this way. How many of you are controlling? All right, that was courage. And some of you that didn't raise it are the most controlling because you wanted to control not letting me cause you to do something. If you're controlling, what that means is you want your will, not God's, to be done. Because, see, you want, you want things around you, people around you, the environment around you to be conducted, how? The way you want, not the way God wants. If we want God's will to be carried out on earth, we have to start with wanting it to be carried out in our lives. Well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that he changes the way you think so you know his will. We've been studying that for a couple of years. And we cooperate with it. Ephesians 5.17 Ephesians 5.17 Oh, 945. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. How do we know God's will? Well, we're transformed. But let me give you some practical ways. You spend some time with God. You spend some time in His Word. Coming and hearing messages is a good place to start. It is not a place to finish. We desperately need to know God's will. We we learn to recognize His voice. We listen for His direction through our prayers, through messages, through Bible studies, through impressions. But you can't trust impressions without checking impressions by his word, he never violates his revealed word. By observing circumstances, but again, you don't let circumstances control your decision making. You observe them. You see what I'm saying? Because if you're saying, well, God told me that this, this woman's supposed to be my wife, and she can't stand you, well, the circumstances tell you, you aren't hearing well. And ask the advice of some seasoned Christians. Some people whose lives you just can look at and you can see the Spirit of God leading them. Check what you think you heard by those who have more experience hearing. So what steps are you taking to discern God's will? When we focus on God first as we pray, we can be conformed to His will his plans, His purposes. Then we will make requests that He will grant when we ask. Father, teach us to pray. And in our prayers, enable us to discern Your voice and give us the willingness to obey everything You reveal to us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. There will be counselors at front if you want to talk to someone or pray with someone.